Welcome to a new episode of the Between the Lines podcast. With Selection Sunday behind us, you already know what we're talking about today. As we dive deep into this March Madness discussion, we figured we would bring in someone who's been there before in Barry Rorison. Mr. Rorison served as an assistant coach for the Pittsburgh University, Kentucky, and St. John's men's basketball teams, even making it to the Final Four with Kentucky. After our interview, we're diving into our picks for March Madness and some of the hottest issues for certain teams as we move forward into late March. Barry Rorson is a former college basketball coach and the former heads men coach at Manhattan College when he served as the assistant coach under John Calipari at Kentucky and at St. John's University as Chris Mullen as the assistant coach for, for the Salt Lake City Stars of the G League. Um, thanks for coming on with us today. Good morning, man. Nice to be here. Happy March. You as well. Um, so how did you get your start in coaching? Well, from a young age uh, and being from Brooklyn, New York, basketball was a very popular game. Uh, I really liked uh, all, all athletic activities, uh, you know, baseball, football, hockey. But uh, as the years had grown, uh, my love of basketball uh, kind of channeled into that area and I wound up participating in that the most. And the thing that really uh, kind of led me there was it's such a year-round game, okay? Uh, you know, baseball, sometimes seasonal, unless you live in a climate uh, that, you know, say down in the South or out West, uh, you know, football, uh, has certain regions and pockets of, uh, you know, popularity among, you know, youth football, uh, you know, Texas, Western Pennsylvania. Uh, but basketball was really a game uh, in the New York area and in particular Brooklyn uh, that really just, uh, you know, generated so much interest and participation. You were very well known for your scouting ability in the New York City area. Um can you kind of tell us who you think would the, the best player to come out of that area would be? Well, there's so many players who are from the New York area that have gone on to tremendous success, uh, you know, not just collegiately, but even in the NBA. Uh, the all-time leading scorer, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, was once Lou Alcinda, uh, who was a product of Power Memorial High School uh, in New York city, uh, and just countless, uh, you know, college all Americans and NBA all-stars who have come from that area. Uh, you know, fortunately for myself, having known many of the high school coaches, uh, from the leagues in New York, uh, by the time my coaching career started and it was my turn to go out and try to find players who would help us uh, be successful, uh, many of those uh, fine men were still coaching. So there was, uh, you know, a factor of having a relationship that they knew me from a high school player 
uh, into college and then from college, you know, into coaching. Um, was there like a best player that you recruited out of New York City? Well, we had a bunch of good players uh, during my time at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, we inherited some players there, uh, like Ricardo Greer, who's now an assistant coach at the University of Dayton. And uh, what we did was try to continue to build off that. We had uh, Brandon Knight, who was coming in as a freshman, uh, and he's an assistant coach right now at Rutgers University that had you know, a very good season, and they're back in the NCAA uh, tournament. Uh, so... You know, we had players who at the time weren't just good players. They've gone on and had some success as well coaching now, and they're ready to step up and be head coaches themselves. Uh, in terms of direct guys, uh, I, I would say maybe uh, Chris Taft uh, was the Big East Rookie of the Year out of Severian High School. Another good player we got out of Severian was uh, LeVance Fields, who helped Pitt get to the Elite Eight. Uh, Ronald Ramon from All Hollows High School uh, in the Bronx. We had a number of good players. So you recruited for a, a lot of different teams, ranging from big to small. What is the difference in recruiting for a powerhouse like Kentucky to a smaller school like Manhattan? Well, one of the things in recruiting that is a constant is you have to be honest with the young men that you're recruiting. Uh, because that, that relationship that you have, you know, with your players, uh, you know, they're looking for somebody that, uh, you know, a, a, as they step up and enter the next level, you know, they want to have the success that they had uh, in high school. Uh, many of them are looking to, you know, play in the NBA or over in Europe. So, you know, honesty is the most important thing. Uh, once you you know, find the type of players that, you know, fit your system, uh, of course, are talented. I, you know, that, that's really the first thing that catches uh, a coach's eye when they're, you know, looking to recruit players and give scholarships for their team. You know, are they talented? Then, you know, you have to do your part and look into the academics, make sure they're eligible. And that's why it's so important for all these young men who are participating, uh, you know, in high school basketball to be aware of the, you know, guidelines, you know, that will help them, uh, you know, move on to further their career in college. Uh, but, you know, being honest with players, uh, you know, and then explaining to them how they fit into your program, the benefits of attending, you know, your school and, you know, people, you know, even like yourself right now have been complimentary, uh, you know, in the recruiting process. It's always been my belief that the best recruiters you have are your players because they're actually living, okay, uh, proof of what's going on. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll have a recruit come to campus and you have X amount of time with them. You know, you basically have 48 hours, but within those 48 hours, they spend and you want them to be with the guys on the team. And it's really the guys who are, you know, living it. Uh, you know, it's my feelings that, you know, they're the best example of why somebody should come to your school. 
Um, transitioning a little bit more to the coaching side, each coach has kind of a different philosophy or view on the game of basketball. Can you tell us a little bit about your coaching philosophy? Well, you know, there are so many components of it. If you, you know, kind of said, you know, what's the difference between basketball and football and football? It's, you know, so obvious where you have, you know, an offense uh, coordinator, a defensive coordinator, uh, a special teams guy. But there are those similarities in basketball as well. Uh, you know, head coaches and the real good uh, coaches, uh, sometimes you hear them referred to as the A to Z guys. You know, they can do it all. They can coach in a game. Uh, they're proficient, you know, at both sides of the ball. They're excellent recruiters. Uh, you know, they're very good uh, with dealing with their administration, people on campus. Uh, they have a uh, working relationship with the media. So many of those things factor into being a successful coach. Um, statistics and analytics are becoming an increasingly larger part of basketball. Uh, are you a believer in all that? And if so, did it affect the way you coached? Well, it really is increasing, uh, you know, as each season goes on analytics. It's an amazing uh, way to, you know, see the game, shape the game, uh, metrics. Uh, you really don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Uh, I'm firmly, you know, a believer in them. And uh, as time keeps progressing, uh, you know, we as coaches have to keep progressing as well. So definitely a believer in them. Uh, but it also, you know, always turns back that you're dealing with people. And, uh, you know, the numbers tell a certain, you know, part of the game. Uh, but there's also that interpersonal contact uh, you know, that a coach has with a player and also a feel, uh, you know, of what has gone on, uh, you know, in the past and in the history of the game as well, that kind of dictate the rhythm of a game. Um, sticking with coaching, can you tell us a little bit about the differences off the court between being an assistant coach and a head coach? Well, that's a great question, Liam. Uh, it's often asked at, you know, coaching clinics and, you know, some other times when you do interviews. And really, uh, you know, there are, you know, substantial things uh, between the two. But if you wanted to boil it down, uh, you know, into one common denominator, assistants uh, make suggestions and head coaches make decisions. Um, college, college athletes getting compensated is a huge topic in, in and around the sports world. Um, can you give us a little bit about your opinion on that and, and where you stand? Well, there's so much that goes into both sides, uh, of the discussion, right? It, it's certainly fair that, uh, if somebody is making, you know, X amount of revenue, you know, a college, a university, uh, off someone who is, you know, a participant in college athletics, that it should be distributed. Now it's up to those in charge to figure out exactly 
what's fair for the distribution, all right? Having seen so many students in college, uh, you know, they go in there, they have student loans when they come out, uh, you know, they have debt they're responsible for. Uh, it is nice that if you're a scholarship athlete, okay, you have that whole area of moving forward in your life, even presently. It's not like you have to go out, uh, you know, and get a job to, you know, pay for your housing on or off campus, uh, you know, your meals. Uh, it, it, it's very fortunate when any college athlete, not just in basketball, gets a scholarship. It's a tremendous uh, relief to the, you know, parents of those uh, student athletes, where some of them, you know, may not be able to afford college. You have to remember, in some of the sports, these athletes going in, they're, you know, first generation. They're sometimes the first people in their families, you know, going to college. So it is, uh, you know, a very costly thing. Uh, a scholarship is valuable. It's worth, you know, a lot of money, depending on, you know, which schools, you know, you go to. It's, you know, 50, 60 sometimes $70,000 a year, uh, you know, so that's a, that's a pretty good annual salary, uh, you know, for a college student. Uh, and, and then when you, you know, try to equitize it, so much of the revenue was brought in uh, by only, you know, a few sports on campus and you wanna be fair to the other students. So you really have to take a deep, hard look into, you know, the economics of it. But, uh, you know, certainly a scholarship is valuable. It's a, uh, you know, nice way for someone when they get their degree to go out uh, into the world debt-free. Um, so the start of the NCAA tournament is just a few days away. Um, can you recall your favorite NCAA tournament moment from your days as a coach? Well, probably... Uh, coaching in the final four, okay? Having had the opportunity to coach a lot of good players, be with a lot of good head coaches, uh, you know, and make the NCAA tournament, advance in the NCAA tournament into the Sweet 16, you know, round by round, step by step, uh, was always very exciting. I think for any coach, uh, you know, they would say, and having been fortunate enough to be there, uh, to have that opportunity, uh, to go into that final weekend of the season uh, and be able to participate uh, for a national championship, that that certainly stands out. And it, it, it's so good, Liam, that, you know, now after going through a year, which, uh, you know, many have had such personal loss, and for all of us, uh, you know, in, in such a, you know, change in, in, in life right now from, you know, wearing masks and vaccines and, you know, living differently and going to school differently and working differently, uh, you know, from 2020 at that point, which was really for the basketball people, uh, March sadness that we're back to March madness. All right. So, you talked a little bit about, you know, how you went to the Final Four, and obviously you played a lot of games in a short period of time. How do how do teams and the players deal with the short rest during March Madness? Well, you know, let's think about it. 
you know, during the course of a season, some teams will go into tournaments uh, where they'll wind up playing, you know, back-to-back games or have shortened times. When you look at some of the conferences, uh, you know, during, you know, my time uh, at one of the stops, the UNLV University in Nevada, Las Vegas, uh, we were in a conference where we played basically on uh, Thursdays and Saturdays, okay? And that's, you know, similar to what the NCAA tournament is like, where you're going to play two games in a 48-hour period. Uh, During my days as a head coach at Manhattan College, we were a Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday league. So the players, uh, you know, get acclimated and have, you know, some adjustment to that. Uh, You know, the other thing is, before, and if you're fortunate enough to even make the NCAA tournament, you're playing your conference tournament. And most of those games, you don't even have, you know, that extra day to prepare. You're playing back to back. So, uh, you know, these players get familiar with it. And even if you look into their, you know, AAU programs, when you go out to some of these big tournaments or they're for a weekend they're not just playing, you know, two games in two gate in two days. Some of these guys are playing two games in two days, or even three games if they make a championship in these big AAU tournaments. So uh, the players are probably a little more familiar with it than most people would expect. Um, how do you game plan in these tournaments when sometimes you don't know who your next opponent is going to be? Well. The head coach has, you know, X amount of assistance on his staff. In, you know, the NCAA and Division One, you're allowed to have three assistant coaches that can work on the court with the players, uh, you know, do scouting. And, you know, what happens sometimes is when you see the brackets come out, right, each assistant coach, you know, will be handed a team that they're supposed to, Uh, you know, really focus on, it'll be their report, it'll be their team. And, uh, you know, so one assistant coach will take, you know, the opponent that you're, you know, assigned to, and then your next two assistants will have the winner, you know, each one will take the the game that you're going to play next, uh, should you win, each one of those coaches will have one of the teams as a responsibility. So systematically, you know, it all works out. Um, You last coached for the St. John's Red Storm in 2015, 2016. Do you have any desire to return to coaching? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, basketball is a great game. Sometimes it could be a tricky business, but with the right, uh, you know, head coach, and the, uh, you know, right school, absolutely. It's such a tremendous joy and an honor to be able to work with, you know, young men and, you know, student athletes who, you know, have a dream, you know, to go on and, you know, basketball is going to be part of their success, you know, growing up. And, you know, one of the things now, even all the wins that you have uh, and all the, you know, games that, you know, you've won and, some of the best part about it is still the relationships that you've had with former players who you, you know, recruited and, you know, since their freshman and sophomore year uh, in high school, 
you know, that you still have, you know, regular, you know, dialogue in and, you know, some of the guys that have gone on, you know, do really well. I mean, for myself uh, at UNLV, we had Sean Marion to go on to be an NBA all-star. Uh, you know, he's done tremendous. Uh, you know, guys at Pittsburgh have gone on to play in the NBA. Uh, you know, we had a young man, Aaron Gray, uh, came in, you know, worked hard for four years at Pitt. He went into the NBA, you know, and had a nice career. You know, and there's so many others that have gone on. Uh, you know, to Europe, when you, when you think about that Kentucky team, you know, so many players uh, have gone on from that 38 win team uh, to have tremendous success. Carl Towns was the number one pick in the NBA draft. Uh, and Devin Booker uh, is really lighting it up in the NBA in his career. Um, so the national association of basketball coaches meets around this time each year. Do you have a favorite moment or experience with other coaches from the NABC meetings? Well, the NABC is a tremendous organization uh, for those in the profession. Uh, it, it's kind of, uh, as you just said, uh, during the final four, when people, uh, you know, are allowed to go, uh, they have, you know, meetings just to try to get everybody in the same room. Uh, now, uh, the organization has just been uh, transferred uh, from Jim, he Jim Haney to uh, Craig Robinson. Uh, so it's in very good hands. One of my former uh, bosses, Jamie Dixon, who's a head coach at TCU, he's the president uh, currently uh, this year, his term of the NABC. And he's done an outstanding job, uh, you know, through this transitionary period. And, you know, when you think about what coaches have gone through this year, uh, you know, as well as the players, but the coaches uh, having experienced a season like this, you know, no matter how much background you have, no matter how much success you've had, uh, you know, to come into a situation that became a you know, global pandemic, uh, no one really had a manual or a textbook on how to handle it. So it was good when these coaches could all, you know, get together and, uh, you know, share ideas, share thoughts, uh, you know, and keep, keep their teams together. That's awesome. <clears throat> not sure. How, we're not sure how much college basketball you've watched this year, but uh, can you give us your, your pick for this year's March Madness? Well, you know, it's, it's obvious to, you know, take those, you know, top tier teams. Uh, you know, Gonzaga right now is having an unbelievable year. Uh, you know, really that, you know, they could make history. They, they could, you know, become an undefeated team. And, you know, what you find is when you say how do teams succeed at this point, it really comes down, you know, I've always, you know, used the word Ted, uh, which, you know, is a common name and, you know, was a popular movie. Uh, but Ted to me always stood for talent, experience and depth. You know, those are the three things you need to advance, uh, you know, through a season and even more so now in, in a tournament. And if you said, you know, what are the, uh, you know, elements, I would probably say trust because trust is an invisible glue that holds a team together. Uh, the trust between a player and the head coach. 
the trust between a head coach and a player, the trust between players and each other. Uh, so, you know, that right now, some of those teams that are talented, you know, are really going to step forward. But what makes March Madness so great, uh, you know, unlike, let's say, a World Series, which is a spectacular event, but you're going to get seven games out of it. So more than likely, the best team has the favorite chance, you know, to win, uh, you know, at when, you, when you make a longer series. With March Madness, right, anyone can win on any day. And, you know, that's why when you even look at the tournament, it's probably, you know, the most exciting thing that people watch that at the end of at the end when you turn the TV off, there's no score. I mean, but so many people, you know, Selection Sunday is just such a special thing to watch. You know, almost similar to the NFL draft. You know, people really love to watch that NFL draft. And, you know, at the end of the draft or at the end of the, you know, show for that day when you turn your TV off, there's no score. But yet there's so much excitement built in. And that's what makes the NCAA tournament so special because it has such a wide range of fans, okay? You could have the diehards that just root for their own team and follow their own team, or you could have the sophisticated, you know, college basketball fan that knows so much, you know, about it, follows, you know, the entire sport. And then that range goes all the way through to the casual fan, you know, and they just come around and march, or, you know, sometimes people refer to them as like the water cooler fans, you know, they go into work on Monday morning and, you know, everyone all of a sudden has a, has a bracket in their hand. And, and that's what kind of makes this so special, just the range of people that it attracts and the attention and the interest that it draws. Um, you briefly mentioned movies. You're credited in three movies. How did you get your start in acting a little bit? Well, that may even lead back more to the question that you asked me about basketball. Uh, you know, being in New York, a lot of people uh, in the industry, uh, you know, live in that area. Uh, you know, New York, uh, uh, you know, Hollywood, California, a lot of people, uh, you know, in that profession, that's where they go. Okay, for me, just happened to live there. Uh, wound up having some friends uh, that were in the industry. Uh, I wound up, uh, you know, working with a guy, uh, Chaz Palmentary, uh, who wound up later going on to, uh, you know, star in the Bronx Tale. Uh, you know, one of my closest friends is a guy named Mike Starr, uh, who's probably been credited in, you know, over a hundred films. Uh, you know, and he was very encouraging to me. Uh, the guy who actually got me in the Screen Actors Guild is a super talented writer and a wonderful guy uh, who lives in Hollywood now from Boston. His name is Frank Renzulli, and he was uh, an original writer on The Sopranos. And he had put me in his uh, television show that he wrote uh, called Maverick Square, which is a section in East Boston, and that's where Frankie's from. And he had, uh, you know, put me in that show. And uh, it was actually uh, Bobby the Butcher, 
It was the neighborhood butcher, you know, in that show with a uh, actor named Mike uh, Chickless, who was the, the the star of the show. And, uh, and then I was very fortunate to be cast in the, in the first film I was in was Glenn Gary, you know, Glenn Ross with, you know, so many uh, wonderful, you know, actors and good people. And uh, the first AD in that, his name was Tom Riley, uh, was, uh, you know, influential and, in, you know, getting me cast in that. So uh, it, it's been fun. It's it, It's been a nice hobby. Uh, some people like stamps, uh, you know, coins, baseball cards, and that was kind of something that, uh, you know, I wound up, you know, falling into. Um, How did you get your nickname of Slice? That's a good question. There was a uh, gentleman who started a basketball camp uh, and for those who know uh, and, and follow the sport, it's called the five-star basketball camp, you know, and it's had, you know, players come through there, you know, from Michael Jordan on. And his name was Howard Garfinkel. And uh, unfortunately, we lost him uh, a few years ago. But this year, he's actually on the uh, nomination ballot to be in the Naismith Hall of Fame. Uh, along with another person who's a great guy. We just lost uh, Tom Kinchalski. Uh, both of those men ran a uh, scouting service and report called HSBI. And, uh, but Mr. Garfinkel had a great camp along with his partner, Will Klein. And uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, a good friend, Bob O'Connor, got me into work at the camp with Mr. Garfinkel. And during those, uh, you know, council games, just uh, kind of, Slicing away through the basket, uh, golf, uh, as he's affectionately known to the basketball world, uh, called me Slice, and the name just stuck. Is there any advice you give to listeners who want to get into coaching? Well, it's it's a great profession, and you can help uh, influence a lot of. Uh, you know, young men, uh, you know, it, it, it's been said, Michael, that a good coach can change a game and a great coach can change life. And that's, uh, you know, more or less, you know, what, what it is for me. You really want to see, uh, you know, the players that you coach, uh, you know, go on to achieve their goals and to do things uh, that, that you know, they kind of need to be guided on, kind of need to be directed on. And direction is so important. Uh, you know, sometimes you hear direction, sometimes you hear speed. And for me, why direction is so important is because sometimes that people are going nowhere fast. Okay, so speed isn't the first thing, you know, to try to do something properly. It's really direction and laying a foundation, uh, you know, building good habits. Uh, and having someone to take the time that they'll invest in you, uh, you know, to help you to go on and achieve your dreams. That's awesome. Well, I think that's all we have for you today, Mr. Rorson. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us. Call me, call me Slice, Mike. Call Sorry. me Slice. Slice. Thank you. Everybody, everybody, everybody else does. Awesome. And, and thank you out there. Thanks for having me on, guys. This was fun. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. Enjoy the tournament. Moving on. The greatest time of the year is upon us with March finally here. We are talking about questions surrounding this year's tournament bracket. 
So let's kind of just discuss here about each each uh, region here, um, starting off with the West region. Alec, I mean, any any tidbits for us? So I think what really stands out here is um is I mean you got Gonzaga. Well, I think I think we all can agree, and I think they'll continue their undefeated dominance. They've beat the two, three, and four seeds in this division, so I I, I really think it's a no brainer. Yeah, uh, I mean the real question with this this division is just who's going to end up losing to Gonzaga. I mean, there's some good teams, but I don't think there's anybody that's really going to topple them. So you're just going to be watching Gonzaga. So there, there's been a lot of discussion about this uh, Virginia, Ohio game. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear what, who do you guys have in that one? I've, I've been hearing a lot of people who think Virginia might be on upset alert. I don't. I don't honestly didn't, don't really know. I didn't look into that game too much. Um, I've heard about the upsets mostly from TikTok. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't really picked picked a winner for that game yet. Um, but I just want to talk about a little bit about the division. I think it's actually one of the weaker divisions in my opinion, just because there's a clear winner. Oh, there's um, definitely a clear winner. I don't really see any team besides Gonzaga winning. But um, I also put down some good games for each region. So I'll just. I like the Oklahoma Missouri game. I think that's yeah. a very, very good eight nine game. I also like the USC um, Drake Wichita State game. I think Drake and Wichita State are very two very good programs, which both have a shot of taking down USC. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that Wichita State Drake versus USC game. I think Drake is going to be a team that can really upset some people, and I think they could make a pretty decent run. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to touch back on the Missouri game because um, I, I think that might be the game of this region in this first round. Um, but I, I, I really like these 9-8 upsets. Um, the last time there was a tournament, all four nine seeds won in the first round. So that, that's definitely something to look at. And um, Missouri, Missouri is a great – Missouri had a great season. Um, they, he, they have nine wins against tournament teams including number one seed Illinois, Alabama, Arkansas, and Tennessee. But I mean, they're, they're kind of trending downwards here. Um, with they, they haven't been doing well going into the tournament. So I think I've got Missouri in that one, but I think they're going to have to resurrect themselves a little bit. All right, so moving yeah. on to the East region, if that's all for everybody. Um, you know, I'll start off. I like, I like the East region a lot. I think there's a lot of great teams. Uh, Michigan being one of them, but I don't, I can't really pick Michigan as my favorite here. Um, there's a lot of different, different teams that I might, might take over uh, Michigan, including Florida state and Texas. But uh, I think we can highlight some good games before diving into what you guys think. Uh, I like the Colorado Georgetown matchup. I, I think Patrick Ewing is re- leading a good squad this year. Uh, and I also like the, the BYU Michigan state and UCLA matchup. I think Michigan state and UCLA, we'll talk about it later, but they, they should not be in that playing game. Uh, and then I like UConn versus Maryland. Maryland's a very defensive team. U- UConn's a very offensive team. So I'm going to like that watching that game. Yeah, I, I like LSU versus St. Bonaventure. I think St. Bonaventure can – will. I think they have the, a chance to upset here. Um, their team that was kind of overlooked because they're just such a small – in such a small conference. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they cause LSU and even Michigan if – some issues um, I don't know I think I kind of like the Bonnies you know I'm, I'm, I'm big on the Bonnies uh, but I think LSU is the is eighth in the country in scoring average they're in really an offensive 
juggernaut really um but their defensive ranking is horrible um they're 125th in defensive ranking so i mean you definitely need to play defense to go uh, deeper into this bracket but i think their offense will carry them over st bonaventure as every coach said defense wins championships right respect so uh, i want to talk about rick patino um rick patino mm. sneaking in with iona here um, you know, I'm not a big Rick Pitino guy, but no. you, you think there's I'm not sure anybody really is Rick Pitino guy. But, you uh, think that there's any um way for uh, Iona to upset Alabama or no? No. Well, if if they do, there's not a likely chance. But if they do, I mean, this the bottom half of the East bracket is not super strong. So, I mean, it's yeah. not it's not very likely. But if if they do, I mean. If they, they do, they can they can, it, they can get rolling. Yeah, it really opens up just yeah, a, who do, a pass. Who do you guys have coming out of this this division? Michigan. Honestly, couldn't give you a pick right now. I like Florida State a lot. I've got Texas. You know, I I, Over I couldn't Michigan. go. Wow. I couldn't go with Michigan because they've been they've been disappointing me. Um, they really need a win. Um, I mean, they really do. They they ended the season badly. Um, they're they're injured with livers with that stress fracture. They. They need him more than ever. They need his defensive presence. And They're a team that always seems to just, I don't know, kind of pull up in the NCAA tournament. I'm kind of expecting that. That's what I'm kind of banking on. Um, so Michigan better not disappoint me. Yeah. I mean, they got Jawan is a great coach, obviously, but yeah. I mean, he's, he's new, really experience in the uh, coaching. He's not a stranger to the, to the uh, tournament, but, you know, I mean, we're going to see. I mean, he struggled in the uh, the. I think the game planning in the Big Ten tournament was bad. Yeah. Um, I feel like they. I don't know where Dickinson was in that. Um, that he should have been fed the ball all game long. Um, but yeah, I don't understand. All right. I have to put Juwan in. He's like six ten. <laughs> let's sub him in. Okay, let's. Which one's Baylor in? Is that the Midwest? That's Southern South. region. All right, let's talk about the South region. This is an interesting region for me. Um, I. I really struggled picking a winner here because I think as much as I hate to say it, I think OSU has a great team this year. Um, but I, I have Baylor coming out of this one. What about you guys? Yeah. I, I also, I, I, I'll hold on. Liam. Let me go ahead. You got it. Um, so I also, it was actually tough picking this bracket here. I agree with you on the Ohio state logic. I really like Ohio state and I have them coming out of here. Um, there's a lot of big, big 10 teams in here. Um, Bill and uh, Wisconsin, um, and Ohio State, just being two of them. But uh, I like I like Ohio State in this one. Um, I have Baylor coming out, but I don't think it's going to be easy for them, mostly because they haven't been the same team after their COVID issues. Um, I think Ohio State definitely can give them a run for their money, but I think if Baylor gets back to 75% of what they were before COVID, I think nobody's stopping them. Yeah. Um, I, I love this Ohio state team this year. And it's the only time you're going to hear me say that I love an Ohio state team, but they're, they're kind of likable. I mean, you got EJ Liddell. He, this man is a monster, a monster. Um, I refuse to support any Ohio state team. Oh, I won't be cheering for them, of course, but, um, EJ Liddell's a monster. They have great guard play in Washington. And I, I think, I mean, 
teams like this, this which have their combo with this big man and this good guard play can can do well in, in tournaments. So and we're going to see. I think this is going to be a really interesting um, part of the bracket to watch. Another interesting game is Winthorpe versus Villanova. Winthorpe only has one loss on the year. It's interesting. And Villanova was kind of disappointing in the the Big East um, Conference Championship. So, is I the, mean... Sorry, is this Winthrop's first time in the in the tournament? It might it be. Is. Yeah, I'm going to Google that. But, I mean, 23-1, and one, you don't get to be 23-1 and one by mistake, even if it's, it's against some lesser competition. Yeah, well, Alex, looking that up, I just want to touch on a quick other matchup. Um, this Texas Tech-Utah State matchup, you know, it, it might be sleeping on some people, but I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. I like Texas Tech. They're a... I think they're kind of a college basketball established team. Um, and Utah State has been, you know, on a roll this year. So mm-hmm. I think that's another game to, to look out for. Yeah, it, it is there. It is their first time in the NCAA tournament. Oh, well, it should be interesting. See it should be good. Yeah. So, right. I mean, I have, oh, I've got one last game to, to talk about in this, in this division. Then we can move on to – uh, the Midwest, but um, Virginia and Florida, Virginia Tech, sorry, mm. in Florida. I mean, the Hokies are heading into the tournament two and three in their last five. And I don't know, they've been kind of slumping, but these are both teams that have been sort of slumping um, coming in. Uh, who do you guys have? I don't know, but uh, whoever wins is going to make it easy for Ohio State. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I have, I think I have Florida. Some, I just think they're just the better team. And, like, in a game where both of them are shooting poorly, I think that Florida is going to come out on top. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Um, let's move on to this Midwest division. Um, you know, actually, my winner is in this division. Um, I, I got – I like the, I like Illinois. Um, I like the student – I don't know how to pronounce his name, but their guard, their point guard is just amazing. Um, I like Coburn. Um yeah, I, I've got them winning it all. But also, I think that Houston might be able to give them a run for their money. Um, oh. I mean, go ahead, Liam. You got it. All right. So this is by far the my favorite region. I think the most loaded region. Uh, I think there's honestly five or six teams that have a shot to win this all. Um, you know, some of the pointing out some of the key matchups there's so many but i'll pick up my top three i think my favorite in this whole tournament would be loyola chicago georgia tech um i think i think that's gonna be a phenomenal game loyola chicago is just having a really great defensive season and uh georgia tech is coming off their their acc win i think acc yeah they're like cupcake acc (laughs) and then uh san diego state and syracuse i think it's gonna be a very underrated game and then clemson Rutgers. i think they both have very solid programs but uh, i also I like the Oregon State-Tennessee game, too. I mean, there's just so much great stuff. I actually here. have Oklahoma State coming out of this region. They I are, love Oklahoma State. They've been hot. I was I was kind of trashing my boy Cade Cunningham early on in the uh, the Big 12 tournament. But, well, he was kind of getting locked down. But, I mean, he's 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 hit his stride recently, and he's been balling. Okay. And this, this Oklahoma State team can be dangerous. Yeah, that Sweet 16 matchup, if Oklahoma State plays Illinois, that's going to be one for the ages, I feel like. Yeah, that honestly, that could be the game of the tournament if if they meet there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I want to go as a whole, um, just for the, for, the, for the listeners, of course. Um, who do you guys have coming out of your tournament, out of the entire bracket, and why? Um, 
Like the winner? Yeah, the winner. Whole thing. Well, the winner, mm. I'm going to say Gonzaga over Illinois. Um, the Zags are undefeated. The Illinois is not. I think it'll be an amazing game. Um, I have Gonzaga over Oklahoma State. I just think Oklahoma State's hot at the right time, and I'm just not – I'm not a huge believer in Illinois. Uh, I'm a believer in Illinois, Liam. I'm a believer. Um, I think they've got great guard play, as I said before. Um, I've got them over Gonzaga, um, who should sweep through that West Division. Um, and I've got, I've got Illinois taking it home this year. Interesting. All right, so let's kind of move on. Who's your guys' biggest sleeper? Like, you got any Cinderella story predictions maybe? Too many to count. Too many to count. I mean, I kind of like – well, actually, this would totally contradict me. But I think Loyola Chicago, just because they have Sister Jean, you know, like <laughs> – She's going to bless them. She's going to bless them. Absolutely. Um, um, I also think FSU could be a possibility. They're not really a sleeper. Well, I have like, I have um Drake or Creighton. I think Creighton can go pretty deep unless like if if somebody knocks off Gonzaga in that second round, then it's just a clear path for Creighton. Yeah, I mean Creighton is a powerhouse. Creighton's trash. They got dismantled by by Georgetown. They lost by like thirty in that ace in that Big East championship. They had a bad yeah, day. They've got I'll, a I'll touch on that a little bit, but uh, I got 24 and four Loyola Chicago. Their center Cameron Crutwig is an absolute monster. He's averaging team team best in points, rebounds, and assists, and they won the Missouri Valley Conference tournament. Plus, as Alex said, Sister Jean is back. She got vaccinated twice. She's good to go. She's their good luck charm. So, I mean, this is a recipe for success. Yeah, it's it's crazy to see um a center who can pass like that um. I've been watching a little bit and it's also, he's sort of, he's, they're not the same, but it's like comparable to EJ Liddell. He's pretty mobile. Um, he makes good passes too. Um, so uh, I, I want to step into one of my favorite aspects of the um, tournament. And that's, you know, sometimes you have better luck picking your bracket in an unconventional way than you do picking it by logic. So this year I have a second bracket. Okay. And my second bracket, I'm picking which mascot would win in a fight. So uh, let me pull that up. But my winner of the entire bracket is the Drexel Dragons. Okay. Yeah. I don't got yeah. anybody beating Dragons. Um, I, mean, um, I wouldn't either. Yeah. So here, I'll go to my final four. You know, I got the, I got the USC Trojans. Like that's, that sounded pretty mighty to me. So yeah. put yeah. it in my final four. I got the Purdue Boilermakers, like a train. Like that's, that's pretty sick. I don't know. I how like many? How many? Team. How many mascots did you have to look up? Yeah. Oh, if you look at my search history, it's just uh, Drexel mascot. USC <laughs> yeah. mascot. I've never mascot, like, heard of the Drexel mascot. Yeah. Um. I I kind of think legacy wise is pretty fun. Like I would pick Georgetown over Colorado just because that whole program is amazing, and I would kind of. I would pick Creighton over UC Barbara, Gonzaga, so on. I just and like St. Boney's over <clears throat> LSU because I mean I just the program is overall better. Um, I did I did best uniforms. Oh, that one's cool. Nobody nobody wants to watch a game where both teams just have garbage uniforms. I mean, as simple as that. I got I got Houston in the Final Four. Uh, I got North Carolina in the Final Four. They have pretty good unis. Um, yeah. We should uh we should. 
we should we're gonna we should make a league with the three of us just so we can track our um our tournaments with our unconventional methods okay um, i, sh- I then, gotta make it and then i'll i'll yeah, send it. yeah sounds good and then so, uh, let's let's move on to our last little topic here biggest bracket snubs who got a lower seed than they should have this this was hard to me because i think i think the committee did a pretty good job this year um but i look at oklahoma state at four and i i think i mean their their record shows that they should be a four seed but if you've watched them play you know that with the the high level that they're playing at they deserve to be higher um i think i think kansas was a little too high 20 and 8 is kind of down near for them and the third three seed is now seems a little high um but i think colorado state was snubbed um they didn't make it because they're lost to utah state which just kind of bumped them out but uh they were a good bubble team yeah i mean i'm gonna just talk about the nine seventeen nine ucla team getting a playing game i mean just them versus michigan state is just ridiculous they didn't first of all they didn't even deserve an 11 seed and they most definitely did not deserve a playing game especially against michigan state i mean there's uh, UCLA was 13 and six in conference play, and even though they have been on a skid as of late, it's still too low for a team that has a above, uh, I don't know, 750 win percentage. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, do we have anything else to talk about with this this bracket? Last oh. day. It's the last day to join our bracket challenge. Last day, please Lincoln everybody bio. join. Make last, one bracket. Last day Enter to join our bracket. Your best challenge. bracket. Pick however you want. You can pick by uniforms. You can pick by mascots. You can just pick random coin flipper. Just join. All right, we've got we've got forty plus people in that right now. Um, It should be a good one. You know, if you want to come on the podcast, like maybe if you win, we'll find you a spot for a day. Maybe. Um, I like that. I like that. All right. Well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Um, It's going to be a crazy March. Uh, We're going to be covering basketball for weeks on end. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for it. So oh. we'll see you next time.